0: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy and today's show is all about the unsung heroes of our sport. Today we're going to talk about the people, maybe some products and places as well, that have made a positive impact on mountain biking, but maybe haven't quite received the kudos that they deserve. Now, as usual, we're going to get into the news and questions before we get into our chat about unsung heroes. So that means that you've got about 15 minutes or so to think up three or four examples of unsung heroes of your own that deserve some thank yous before you guys disagree with our picks. Now, I've got Mike Kazimer with us today. Kaz, to be honest, I had a real hard time coming up with my unsung heroes. There are some obvious ones that I don't think qualify as underappreciated. I might rustle some trail fe- some trail feathers? <laughs> yeah. I might rustle some feathers here, but I don't think the trail builders are really unsung heroes because we all love them. So I don't And we w- sing them. We sing them. I I yeah. love them. Thanks guys. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: ah, there are some under, under underappreciated trail builders out there. There's plenty of places where people don't even think that how that trail got there. So I think they can still be you can sing about them more if you would like.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Also, I don't think that we should have people who uh, race bikes on our list. I don't think mountain bike racers are overly unsung heroes, but we're all we're all aware and grateful for people like that as well as people who do like kids camps, things like that. So basically regular heroes. S- they're all yeah, just they're regular just heroes. Yeah, they're just regular heroes. Thanks, heroes. Kaz. Let's move on though. It's yeah. boring. It's boring. <laughs> Kaz, you don't have any trail builders on your list, do you?
1: No, I'm really confused about my list so far. So we'll see how it all turns out because so far you've listed all the people that I think should have more recognition. So yeah. I don't know who we're going to sing about. So <laughs> we'll let everyone, yeah. we can't talk about trail builders. We can't tell about people helping the sport. We'll see how this goes when we get to the discussion.
0: Well, I mean, I, I just feel like everybody loves and appreciates those people already. So I just want us to come up with, some people who maybe don't get those praises—that's the point. So, um, I came up with a few heroes of my own that aren't people, though. Kaz. first and foremost, I wanted to nominate tire plugs for sainthood. <laughs> this is like an assignment you get in high school where they totally change the thing when you yeah. like, like,
1: do this, and then you do it, and you're like, no, we needed to do it this way.
0: What's well, my assignment? So, I know you're a weird teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any unsung heroes that aren't people or places? Any gear or anything Other like that? Other than pla- What's
2: going to be a place? I tell you that. <laughs> Why not? Oh, yes. Connecticut. What an unsung hero. No, no, no. I
1: mean, what it's was the birthplace of some great people. So,
0: What was the place that recently said it's the world capital of mountain biking? And we were all, all, of all of like,
2: what? Is, isn't it Arch- Little Rock or something? No. Bentonville. 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 Yeah. Go. Yeah. It's a good the marketing strategy. We're talking about it.
0: <laughs> Alright, I've got Brian Park here as well, and we've got James Smirthwaite who's gonna read the news. But James, before we do that, I wanted to hear your unsung hero nominees. Uh
3: well, to be honest, following what you've just said, this might be a bit too sung, but um I was gonna say Horst lightner. Um only because, you know, everyone knows the horse link. How many people know Horst Lightner? <laughs>
0: everybody under 20 is like who the shit is horse Lightner?"
2: <laughs> i think i think the point is this he's been sung it's just that radio like or that song isn't played on the radio much anymore like it's just nobody old. listens to radio everybody's yeah, exactly. on
0: spotify so nobody knows who horse yeah. Lightner is
2: <laughs> a taxi in an uber
0: world yeah <laughs> okay james why why is he an unsung hero of yours
3: Well, I think, you know, what he did, taking full suspension mountain bikes, which were, I guess, like sort of mainly like bouncy pogo stick single pivots, like elastomer suspension and like bringing that first linkage in, showing that there was kind of a better way to to make bikes more comfortable and and more effective, um, kind of really pushed the sport forward. And, you know, that linkage design is coming up to 40 years old, but it's still probably the most popular one there is. I think when people look at a horse link bike, they're kind of like, oh, that's okay, that's kind of a bit boring. But the reason it's boring is because it it works so well and so many people have got so much enjoyment um, from the design he created. And, you know, other suspension designs are available, but he was the first one to to bring that sort of linkage style um, to mountain biking. I think that that kind of changed it for the good.
2: I feel like we just nailed Specialized's next ad campaign. It should just have, like their bike and underneath it could say other suspension designs are available i i would agree that he's unsung
0: today for sure in modern times he's unsung and i would imagine that lots of people don't know who he is so thanks for singing his praises james all right james is going to read the news now which means it's the time where i'm supposed to remind you to give us a 10 out of 10 rating press that like button and make sure to subscribe to the pink pod so you don't miss any episodes
3: Let's hear the news. Thanks Mike. Before the news, we have a sponsor this week. This week's Pink Bike Podcast is presented by Juta. With over 120 years of experience in combining German engineering with a passion for mountain sports, Juta is launching a new lineup of back protector packs. The brand new flight series offers Rowdy Mountain bikers lightweight, comfortable, and extra-ventilated backpacks with protection and organized storage capacity for longer rides. The flight, other new bike packs and more are now available at your local bike shop or online at juta.com. Okay, first up in the news then is the internet-breaking reveal of the new Supreme from Comencal. The Supreme was the bike that heralded the sort of high pivot revolution. That design was later taken on by like Norco, GT, even like Trek this year. Um, And I think like first time looking at this new version of the Supreme, you might think that Comencal has turned its back on that design. That's not fully the case. Uh, Comencal described this as a virtual high pivot. Uh, it now uses a six bar system instead of that single pivot that's on the current production model. Dan Roberts, our engineer in residence, did a deep dive on the system. And he suggests that it allows Comencal to kind of keep the characteristics that they liked from that old Supreme, while fine tuning some other um, characteristics such as the anti-squat, the anti-rise that were all fixed on the current design it's pretty clear at this point this is a prototype you can adjust the length of links how they relate in position to each other um, and they're going to be testing different setups through the year so it really will be fascinating to see this one come together as the season progresses um what did you guys make of this one i like it
1: it's cool i want to ride it too and play with all the things and see if i can make it ride good and bad it looks fast yeah it already and it went fast right the first race how many
0: podiums that thing get
3: yeah, two 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 podiums for that one, but so did the old supreme. So <laughs>
0: yeah. when I yeah. <laughs> when I first looked at it, I thought that idler was floating, Kaz. I thought it was mm-hmm. attached to the chain stays on like a, a linkage that's driven off them, but it's actually stationary, mounted on the front triangle, isn't it?
2: Yeah, the yes. old one was on was on the seat stay, and the mm-hmm. new one's stationary to the front triangle. Yeah, yeah, six bar designs
1: are pretty interesting. I, I started digging into them, and it's awesome to read Dan's write up, and then in the comments, some people are trying to tell him that he didn't calculate it. Right. But then he pulled out like the Stevenson theorem to prove that he did. <laughs> and I was like, uh, all right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it, yeah. When you're, when the name of the theorem has like a hyphen and for two n- names, you know, it's serious business. Mm-hmm. The nerd fight, you just lost it. Yeah. <laughs> what are some other six bar bikes, Kaz?
0: Uh, felt,
1: uh, Yeah, that's kind of like the design that immediately people were saying it looks like a felt that it. And that is one way to do it. Um, think that new Polygon is a six-bar, their new e-bike, yeah, mm-hmm. the uh, Specialized Enduro.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Off the top of my head, those are the ones I can think of. But there's not a ton. Like, I think there's a lot you can do with it because it does, like James says, it allows you to kind of tune each thing uh, differently. But it can also be complicated to make it work the way you want to. I think
2: it's easy. So to many more ways to... Mess, mess it, it
1: up, up. Yeah, yeah we're talking about horse like horse i think i could
0: still mess up a horse link but it's a lot harder than it would be with a six bar yeah do we know how far out this bike is for production or anything or
3: they uh, said um no commercial plans for it like you kind of seem somewhere down the line that we're going to do <laughs> yes. something based on this but um <laughs> Yeah, nothing in the immediate future, I don't think. Um, Well, that bike made its debut this weekend at the first World Cup of the year. I don't know about you guys. It's felt like a long time to me with Maribor postponed, Fort William cancelled. I was kind of worried we'd get any racing, but um, Gang opened the season. and I think it did so in pretty spectacular style. Um, Were you guys up early watching this one? Oh, yeah, I was.
1: It was really good. So nice to have racing back. I missed it.
3: Yeah, I think Lea Gang used to be nobody's favorite track. Um, but since the inclusion of that wood section last year, um, it's definitely kind of stepped up a level for sure. Um, what what do you make of the track now?
1: Yeah, it's a lot more fun to watch just having that wood section because, yeah, before it was the one that I'll... And, and plus, I like not hearing the racers complain because that was the part I always hated. Though. I was like, oh, it's bike parking. I'm like, yeah, but it's your job just to ride bikes. Like, just stop complaining. But now they can't complain because it has everything in
0: this one track. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Do you remember Peter Meritzberg? And how much the racers complained. I feel like we're getting a little off topic, but I feel like there's nothing wrong with having uh, a wide variety of courses to test the racers on. I think that they should be able to like whoever wins the most and gets the most points across the season on a variety of different tracks. Yeah, put some pedaling in there. No, but <laughs> I do think they've
1: done a good job. <laughs> they've done a good job evolving Leo Gang over the years. Now it's like a proper course with a mix of stuff, like how those jumps up high. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and this year they had that drone following people. That was that was kind of interesting to see the how the footage is evolving.
2: I think they're going to make that so much better. I think they can make that drone footage even better. Mm-hmm. On uh, but it's I think it's probably only really possible on courses like this where it's kind of open and you've got a lot of camera angles and for William. Yeah, Fort William could be perfect. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, it's pretty windy, right?
1: Well, yeah, they might lose some drones. But yeah, whatever, <laughs> it's like, worth it. Yeah, the Scottish national drone champion can get out there; he'll be good at that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, definitely took some victims this year, Leah Gang, with that increased technical section, and um, like healing vibes to Charlie Harrison, and also perhaps the most bizarre World Cup injury I'm aware of: um, Florent um balls still a bit of a nasty one um anyone who didn't see this he basically rolled over a, a course pole which i think happens hundreds of times a day at a world cup but he just got super unlucky it flicked back the wrong way and before long he was in hospital with things out of where they should be do we know
0: what the actual injury was did he post anything about it yeah his balls fell out yeah like it like- literally tore his sack open and his balls yeah. fell out yeah
3: he did oh ride God. down half a World Cup course before he bothered to check on them, though, which I think is equally as gnarly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Flo, please be careful. <laughs> Jesus. Do you think he was wearing, uh, do you think he was wearing, like, Lycra underneath, like a chamois underneath? I wonder if that would um, help I'm at all. Yeah. I
1: don't know. Flo's really tall, too. I have so many questions. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just sent him Instagram messages. I'm sure he would love to. He
0: probably doesn't
3: want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, getting into the results um it looked like in the race um it was going to be a dream debut world cup for Valley she was on home turf her first ever elite world cup she even had a section of the track named after her but last corner um the race is all the way to the line and she crashed out and um yeah lost it within sight of the line Which, and still got second <laughs> yeah, definitely just a matter of time before she wins um the win went to Camille Balanche, um who won the world champs there last year perhaps proving it wasn't as much of a lottery as people thought. Uh, in the men's race, um, it was definitely great to see Brook charging again. He hit pretty wild line up onto that war ride. Um, Amory Piron, also back after a period uh, of injury, he was in the hot seat for ages until the final two riders. Thibaut de I think, pretty much announced himself as the next big French star. What a wild run that was. Did you watch the Instagram of that run? Like, it's...
2: So wild, and you can see where he threw the race away. There's like one major yeah, mistake that one. in that little yeah. corner. But yeah. Troy took that same low line and won with it. So mm-hmm. could have. It's
1: funny that the two the first, first and second, all took a pretty much a different line than everybody else did. That seemed like to be the slowest one, but it wasn't.
3: Yeah, great to see Troy pick up that win. His first one since 2017. Um, long time coming. I think he's had, you know, double figures of podium since that last win. So up there once again, and this time nice to convert it into the win. Um, there was also an XC round this weekend. Uh, Luana Lacomte won her third consecutive women's race. She's the first woman to do that since Gunn-Rita Dala more than a year ago. Matt Rag put a pretty funny comment in our Slack um, channel um, for a suggested article. He said, um, can someone produce a quasi-philosophical series of memes called something like the enjoying loneliness of Luana Lecomte's racing with a series of screenshots of her when she's so far ahead you can't see the other racers?
0: what a monster i think she if she wins four i think whoever wrote the the race article pendril has won four women's world cups in a row which is the record so she has a chance of of meeting that at the next race which would be damn impressive did you guys look at her bike from that bike check she has soldered spokes some people say soldered but yeah she yeah had that. no i don't though uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> St- are her stanchions soldered <laughs> that would be bad. Yeah. She's also yeah, you, gone straight from U23 champ champs to, I mean, I don't wanna I don't wanna jinx it, but it looks like she's gonna be a senior champ as well. Which yeah, is and pretty she's only nice. 21. Yeah. Like yeah. Ridiculous.
3: Um also huge props to Yelanda neff who found herself back on the podium for the first time since the crash where she ruptured her spleen. Um she also finished the race with a broken hand, which is pretty hardcore. Um Got to be honest, the men's race found it a bit hard to get excited about, with Pigcock and Van der Poel out doing road racing. Um, but Matthias Fluckiger won, and sorry to say this, Levy, but I think he's Switzerland's best medal hope in the men at the Olympics this year. <laughs> are you drunk? <laughs>
0: Nino's already, already qualified for the Olympics. He's thinking about the Olympics he doesn't obviously he wants to do well at these world Cups, but like he's focusing about he's focusing on the Olympics right now mm. and he's gonna win gold. but I just <laughs> want to go back to something here We need, a said, pool. We need an office pool going
1: on yeah. i bet against Nino sorry Nina you're
0: no you uh you said that you found it you found it a bit less exciting without Pidcock and Vanderpool there. Is there any part of you that's bothered a little bit by the guys? by the men and women who kind of show up and show up for the events to just enough to qualify for the Olympics and not do the whole series. Like they're cherry picking. D- is that a fact? I mean, it not? only happens every four years, right? It's one that, it's, I'm not, years, yeah, so. I'm not saying that it's, yeah, yeah. That's God fine, forbid but.
2: these people protect their careers and, and look out for their bottom line as they put their health yeah. on the line and work inhumanly hard for sure a hundred percent at the
0: same time the guys the men and women that are racing all of the world cups and that's what they're focusing on i could understand why they might be a little bummed about it no am i out to lunch yeah. no i think it's like it's it's
1: reasonable but again just it doesn't happen all that often like the olympics were every year and there was always a race every year where people are kind of like yeah. backing off of it that'd be kind of annoying but
2: i just think it's kind of a bad look for mountain biking that we can't attract the top talent to our sport, or that our sport isn't different enough from other sports that people can come in not being mountain bike specialists and just smash. That's a bummer.
3: I, you know, I don't think Pickock and Vanderpol are lacking in in bike skills. Like coming from cyclocross, mm-hmm. um, Pickock said in the interview today he wants to race a downhill World Cup soon so like, that'd be sweet he's definitely yes. got some skills there um i think those races be a lot less bothered if they weren't being beaten um i think there's definitely <laughs> yeah. a hint of envy there um yeah i don't know i just it it, it when you know like potentially the two best races in the world aren't aren't there like it it just makes it hard to get excited about for me Um, One thing we did see at that race, which was pretty interesting, um, Nino and Lars Forster of the Scott Schramm team were running a new lightweight RockShox dropper post. Or maybe we didn't see that. Brian?
2: I'm not sure. I've flip-flopped a bunch. Uh, RockShox wouldn't wouldn't tell me anything. That means it's a RockShox. Uh, well, not necessarily, because it could mean that they're embarrassed that their racer yeah. took off the RockShox product and put something else on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think I'm really impressed with that RockShox, act, like, reverb drop proposal. I think it's shocking how well it works. Um, <laughs> Kaz isn't as much of a fan, but Levy is, I know. I love Levy, it. You, you love that thing, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm just impressed. Like, it's really expensive and it's really heavy and there are lots of things that do an excellent job that don't cost that money, much money or weigh as much, but it's still a really impressive piece of tech. I'll be impressed when the 200 mil comes out, then I'll be impressed.
0: Wait, 175 isn't enough for you, Kaz? No. Like you there's, there's things you're not riding or you're not as comfortable as you could be because it's not 200 millimeter? Correct.
2: Yeah. Okay, I, I just, I just spent to $800 on a dropper post. I want it to go as much drop as I want. I think that's a fair enough. Yeah, I mean, and they're going to do
1: obviously work. ride the same thing with a 175. But when it's further out of the way, I feel more comfortable on certain steep yeah. trails. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So passive aggressively, we just say it. <laughs> I don't have it to say I like yeah. the
0: reverb. I like yeah. the I like the Everb dropper. It's great.
2: Yeah, <laughs> the tech is really problem. impressive. <laughs> I do understand. I you know I would imagine that that 600 something gram weight is a little bit a little bit heavy for for the Nino crew. Um, so uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if SRAM was working on something new, but it also looks a lot like a couple of existing posts out there. I just, I feel like SRAM has been quite dogmatic on non-cable actuated dropper posts for so many years, like it's had to be hydraulic or wireless forever, that they would have to really either swallow their pride very hard or bring something else to the table um some other tech to the table with it if they were going to have a mechanical dropper is but if it's like
0: 400 grams and made specifically for the xc people and cable actuated i would argue that's different enough to Mm -hmm. be in their lineup right beside the hydraulic reverb
2: yeah i i agree but they've resisted it for so long that i'm not sure they would agree Yeah. Imagine if they did, if they just swallowed
1: their pride and came out with, like, just an amazing dropper post with all the lengths and everything that was cable actuated that just blew everybody out of the water. I'd like that. I mean, if they just got rid of the hydraulic
2: line. I mean, there are some, like, adapters, aren't there? Some people make adapters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, like, I'm talking about, they were just like, you know what, we tried it. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but I would would appreciate that.
3: One thing we definitely do know is a new prototype and we assume is coming soon is the new Intense Tracer 279. Chris Kavarić posted this to his Instagram stories. He'd clearly been sent one and was building it up. Um, so this is a carbon evolution of the prototype bike that Isabeau Corduria was racing at the EWS in 2019. I think Zerma and Finale, she raced that one in. Um, there's apparently been input from Gwyn on the development of this frame too. So it's clearly... A sort of racer-focused uh, enduro frame. Um, obviously, the name points to it being a mullet. But um, what other details could you guys pick out from the pictures we saw?
0: Chris runs his seat really
2: high.
3: I <laughs> I think that was just for building it. I, yeah. The seat. Yeah,
2: and that's everyone's like it's a two hundred and fifty dropper post. Yeah, oh. guys,
1: <laughs> that's exactly what you need to ride all those steep roll downs. Two fifty be a bit much. I, I found two tens good for me. You should come ride eventually. One of these days, we'll have a, a ride exchange. And we can yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the bike looks... I mean, it's kind of the next evolution. We haven't seen a. It's been a little while since a new bike from
2: Intense. Yeah. Four years so, since the last Tracer. Yeah.
1: I'd assume it's in that 170, 160 realm, enduroy. Obviously, in the comments, everyone says it looks like a Santa Cruz, because it
2: kind of does. But it does that lower belly. Like, yeah. Guys, it's
0: JS tuned,
2: down? not VPP. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Whole different thing. <laughs> Uh, I like yeah. the um, I like that they've got a little tool storage thing in the in the downtube. It looks like. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that made
1: it to the to this. One. We saw that like three D printed version that had it.
2: Yeah, I mean, if they're doing a rapid prototype with that included, there's no way they're not bringing that to. They're just yeah. they've done the rapid yep. prototype to figure out how to to make sure all the tolerances work and and. Yeah, someone else does a thing. Is it Lapierre
1: like, has a bike or someone has a bike where it just like kind of holds your tube and stuff in there it's like an emergency hatch it's not something like a swap box where you'd normally open it and close it but it's like a little pocket that just holds the stuff in case you need it yeah that's cool i don't know i think we'll get one of these and get one in for a ride eventually
3: next up we have a new bike from cannondale obviously we were expecting the next new bike for them to be this hyper enduro bike based on that prototype downhill bike it's been in plenty of spy shots this year but instead uh, we got something totally different um it's called dave it's named after a member of 50 to 01 it's an aluminium frame 100 millimeters travel 26 inch dirt jump hardtail um looks tough affordable simple everything i think you'd need um for a bike to get you started dirt jumping um what did you guys think
1: might be my favorite new bike name in a long time
0: 100 i also would like to say that pb user burning bird made one of the best comments I've seen in ages. It's so good, we're not even going to save it for comment gold. I just want to say it right now. So, Burning Bird says, Cannondale Execs, we need to launch a new bike this summer, but we're out of derailleurs, rear shocks, 27.5, 29-inch wheels, dropper posts, we're pretty low on brakes. Dave in Marketing says, I have an idea. <laughs> That's <was> very good. <laughs> not yeah. terrible. Not terrible, Burning Bird. <laughs>
3: Um, I wanted to end by talking about Hook Naked, the new race face edit. Um, This is exactly what it says on the tin. Um, Riders hitting the trails naked. Um, You wouldn't catch me doing this in a million years. (laughs) Anyone else fancy giving this again?
0: Oh yeah, 100%. I'd be into it. I don't even ride to the corner store without wearing a chamois, so 100% (laughs) no. (laughs) It looks fun. I want to do it.
3: Brian, can you fill us in on some behind the scenes of this one? I don't no i
2: wasn't there but i imagine that there were a lot of really strategically placed ferns it's like quite impressive how
1: yeah the video editor had to do a lot of
2: uh, careful things. there was a lot of thing. grundle and taint
1: like yeah. editing out somehow yeah. it's really impressive yeah they did a good job everyone should ride their bikes naked <laughs> sometimes
2: <laughs> if we're gonna do all the comment golds early there was another there was a good comment on that one that said uh it was oh, jack yeah. p20 the memo was supposed to be send nude, not nude sends. Really good.
0: Okay, let's move on to the questions. And I've got a whole bunch in here this time. I think we'll probably have to do an entire Q&A episode at some point, eh, Brian? Maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that makes sense. Uh, the first one is from Shred BC. He wants to know what music the team listens to, uh, whether we're getting pumped for a ride or just hanging around in the gar- garage. Kaz, what's your favorite genre of music? And some bands that you like?
1: I listen to tons of music. kind of depends what I'm doing. Like, during the day, I just listen to almost just, like, ambient techno-ish stuff and just kind of, like, mellow. No, not like that. More like like Brian Eno and, like, that kind of, like, mm-hmm. even mellower just because if I hear lots of lyrics, I have trouble typing words. It just, like, gets in my head. But then, uh, yeah, I like heavier stuff overall. Um, I don't know. Older bands like Fugazi and, I don't know, Sonic Youth, Yola Tango, all those. And then newer stuff. I don't know. There's so many. Like, we could go into...
0: Everybody, Kaz kind of just listens to Rise Against 24-7.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just over and over. I just watched that Cam Loop segment from whatever video that was. Yeah. <laughs> I can't listen to them anymore because I worked in a shop and they had that video like on repeat for like the whole year. And it's just... Yeah. Really
3: it. yeah. So I was going to say I have a playlist on Spotify of all the Earth soundtracks. And it's got like 500 followers or something. So the the hunger is out there for the old, old bike soundtracks for sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I was thinking we should each make our own Spotify playlist and put the link in this article for this. Uh, oh, this that's episode. a great idea!
3: Yeah, it seems like a podcast. lot of work
2: it's for this podcast. Let's do it in a future podcast. No, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll, I'll make a playlist. You get. I'll
1: make another playlist, but it's twenty songs. So everyone just oh. picks twenty songs. But you don't have to pick anything, Brian. You got Raffy and Baby Beluga. <laughs> yeah, Baby Blue These Gas. days,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what do you what do you
2: listen to before you before you go out? Oh man, so I was thinking about this. I'm just not i'm i'm so i grew up my dad was a music teacher and i grew up playing a shitload of instruments and i was really into music for a long long time and nowadays i yeah it's not a lot of music going on other than kids obviously yeah lots of kids music and stuff but Baby Do you just listen not. to
0: the pb podcast on repeat all day long.
2: I can't listen to the PB. <laughs> Me neither. It's as, it's, you know what? It's not as bad as you'd think when you listen back to your own podcast. It's like, oh. It's worse. Was, <laughs> no, well, I was cringe thinking, like going into it, like, oh, God, having to listen to ourselves. But then it's not bad. Yeah. It's all right. That's Max, you know. He, Max he does makes a great a job editing us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Max. <laughs> Thanks, Max.
0: Um, Kaz, I looked at my Spotify and I got lots of oldies on there lately. Lots of Bob Seger. Uh, the Who, Rolling Stones, and Boston. And then for the new, I know, <laughs> and then for the new <laughs> stuff, uh, I listen to lots of Drake, Nipsey Hussle, and thanks to you, The Sword. Man, that's I love The Sword.
1: Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like them too. The Sword's my Usually, angry music. I mean, that's like medium angry. It's kind of like happy angry. That's pretty happy. Yeah. You got to talk to James. James knows about the angry music. <laughs> He's got some
3: Yeah, uh, like Kaz says, I'm pretty into heavier stuff. Um, I think the first time I met Brian, I left him halfway through dinner to go watch Fucked Up um, play in a little dive bar, which was really fun. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: nice. I'd like to see them. That would be good. (laughs)
3: Um, Yeah, Kaz and I have talked about doing a music podcast for a while, so I'm really keen to do that at some point. Um, Favourite bands, I kind of um, pulled the top artists from the past six months on my Spotify. So Clipping, um, Deftones, The Armed, Frank Ocean... Gajira, uh Arab Strap, um, yeah, a big mix of stuff, but um, generally on the kind of heavier end of the spectrum, for sure.
2: I don't know what any of those words mean. <laughs>
0: they're good.
1: You like Gojira, Levy? I bet you would like them, you should listen to them.
2: So, uh, How do you pronounce that your... Krangbin band? I've listened to them a bunch, and they're really good, but I don't know how to pronounce them.
3: Yeah, I didn't say it, because I don't know how to pronounce it either, but.
2: Okay. <laughs> I really
1: like them, they're really good. Yeah, Kaz, I've been listening know? to Emdu M- Makdar. do you know him? He's like from, a, he's like Tarag, he's from Niger insane on a guitar it's super good it's like electronic
0: tarag music like yeah huh. he's really cool we're gonna do a music podcast everybody put put it put it put your music put your favorite writing music down in the comments below and let us know why it's bob seeker why he's the greatest anyways <laughs> no, next <please. laughs> question is from lace loop cas he wants to know if we ever get recognized in public have you ever been recognized in public
1: uh yeah sometimes it's funny i don't know i don't i don't like it but it is funny I mean, it's, awkward, the other day, it's really strange but the other day i was at the top of this trail I rolled up on a guy and and uh and he looks at me and he goes does anyone ever tell you you look like mike levy Ooh, did you hit him? <laughs> <laughs> i was like no sometimes people tell me i look like Mike casner but i don't know and he's like what oh <laughs> it's funny we've definitely shout out to that guy if he's listening
0: We've definitely ran into some fans while we're riding. I think it's neat, but it f- makes me feel
2: weird. I feel uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? I think one of my favorite um, recognized in public things was um, <clears throat> before Jason Lu- Lucas worked here, he worked at, uh, at Rocky Mountain with me. And um, we were in Whistler at some dinner or something, and uh, a very attractive young woman walked past, like, Richie Schley, Brett Tippy, Claw, a ton of pro mountain bikers beeline for Jason Lucas, asks for a photo in his autograph. <clears throat> and just their faces was just like, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> I also have a Jason Lucas story. We were coming back
0: from Texas for the Gorilla Gravity launch, and we get on the plane, and the pilots are sitting in the cockpit, and the door is open, and Jason walks in, and they recognize him and come back and talk what? to him. <laughs> Yeah, the pilot's for the plane. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our next question is from Puddles Pearson. Kaz, he says he's struggling to get full travel out of his Rock Shock's Revelation fork on his hardtail. He says he's tried taking out all the volume spacers, reducing the sag, and just riding harder. But even when he overjumps landings and dropping to flat, he can't get the last 20 millimeters of travel. Despite running 25% sag and no volume spacers, uh, he has no compression, five clicks of rebound, any suggestions
1: i would measure and make sure that he's actually thinking he's going to get all the travel like it's a fork, just measure and see where 120 mils would be on the stanchion because there's a good chance that you're not actually going to use all of that um all the stanchion showing so sometimes there is 20 mils left over i would measure that um yeah i mean that's that's where i'd start it's kind of hard to go any deeper than that like it sounds like he did everything that you should i mean you don't have to use full travel all the time but Obviously, it sounds like he's trying to and wants to make sure he has it available. So, yeah, um, I would measure and then from there, you might need to pull it apart and make sure. It's... Uh,
2: he had a question about the bike. It being due to the bike uh, being twenty seven five plus and now being a mullet. I don't think that that's going to have <clears throat> anything to do with his with his fork not reaching full travel.
0: No, no, no. I wouldn't bet against Kaz being right on that. In that, this, like how much stanchion tubes you have showing. <laughs> doesn't necessarily correlate to how much travel you have. It might You might have 140 millimeters of, of tubes showing, but you have a 130 millimeter fork. So literally just measure, let all the air out, compress it all the way down until you feel hard bottom, and then extend the fork, pump it back up, and see if you're getting full travel that way without any spring in the fork. All right, our last question is from FU33. He says, I think we could say that Nino's era is over after recent results. Sure, he'll still be capable of doing well on good days, but he'll no longer be in the front all the time as he was in the last few years, even without Pidcock and Vanderpool in the field. Or will he? FU 33, you are so out to lunch. I mean he's he's had a second place and two top tens this year, and he's thinking about the Olympics. Yeah, you I think it's right?
2: something about um something about capable of doing well on good days. <laughs>
0: All right, since I'm in charge of this chat, I think it's pretty fitting that we go from talking about Nino to talking about heroes, everybody. Although, to be fair, I talk about Nino often enough that he's far from unsung. We've also brought Matt Ragg into the discussion today. Matt has been a PB photographer since since forever ago. He's an editor at large, and he is also one of the saltiest, crustiest, nicest photographers that I know, Matt Rag, where the hell are you located?
4: I'm um, in a place called Saussel in the South of France. It's uh, literally just the other side of the mountain so sort of Monaco and Nice, but yeah, fewer people and more trails basically.
0: Matt's going to bring a European perspective to our unsung heroes, I suspect. But guys, we talked about this at the beginning of the show and I said I don't think there should be any racers or trail builders allowed on our list, Kaz. Let's start with you. Do you have any of those on your list? My list
1: is really short because I don't know. This is a very complicated topic for me. I feel like I'm going to fail this assignment. I don't know who
0: unsung is. D-minus.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get a D-minus. I'm going to try to just squeak by. But like I, I think for me, Hefe Branham, who I've mentioned before, he is a racer. and But to me, he's like my one of my heroes because he's one of those guys who does those crazy endurance races. And just he's out there, even if he's not racing, you just know he's probably riding for longer and farther than you would ever want to go. So I always just have respect for that type of person and rider. I just like knowing that they're out there.
0: Who can you say that name again?
1: I've never heard of him. Yeah, you probably haven't. That's I mean, so he's unsung, right? But Cafe yeah. Branham. Yeah, he lives in Gunnison, Colorado. He's done I think he's won the Colorado Trail Race a handful of times. He's done at least a second place in the Tour Divide race. Um yeah, just can go forever and ever and ever. And he's always been like that ever since I met him. I've known him for almost twenty years now, and he's just always can he's, just keep
0: going. He sounds like one of those guys that's out there doing gnarly things but doesn't care if you know about it. You know those exactly. people? Yeah, for sure. Like back years ago, we went on a ride, a
1: pretty big ride. We met him. We picked him up at his house, went on a ride, you know, three or four hour ride. And for the whole ride, it was kind of an obscure zone. We kept seeing this one track, one set of tire tracks in front of us. And we're like, that's weird. Someone else is out here. No one ever rides us. We get done, drop him off back to his house and we're going. And then the next day he told us that he'd already ridden that ride that morning and just didn't tell us for the whole ride. (laughs) Like he'd already woke up early, went out, rode for like four hours, went home. We picked him up and did the same exact thing. He didn't know we were going to
0: do that ride that day and, and uh, yeah. he didn't he didn't make a like a multi gallery post on Instagram about it. <laughs> yeah, no. He didn't
1: <laughs> telling everybody anything.
0: how gnarly he was. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's one of my unsung heroes. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. I have I have one here. Event organizers. I think these people who organize the big events man it is so much work. And I mean, obviously, a lot of them are making money doing this. Well, they, they should be. It's a super stressful thing. But I just I couldn't imagine like I love mountain biking and I want to do it more than I want to organize it. You know what I, you know what I mean, Kaz? So for these people to organize these big events, I think that's
2: something that they don't get enough praises for. It is horrifying. Organizing events is horrifying. Has, has anybody here organized an event? I feel like you have Matt.
4: I was an event manager for a brief period in my early twenties. I was organizing re- weddings and corporate functions for, yeah, for Orange people was, in Birmingham.
0: Was that a nice I, calm experience, Matt?
4: I I I was like a sea of tranquility amidst an ocean of chaos. I bet. <laughs> I,
2: yeah, I bet there's the same uh, same level of liability in that as there is in mountain bike racing.
4: Oh, uh, it's. Yeah. No, I mean, to be honest, like after I did event organizing for a living, I made a conscious choice that, you know, because you spend all your time doing, you know, you have to be, everything has to happen on a schedule in a certain way. And I just conscientiously decided my entire life away from work, I would not be organized, no schedules, none of that. And so the idea of like, you know, mixing my hobby, you know, bringing my hobby into that world, it just, no, no, thank you. Can
0: you just imagine trying to wrangle 500 or something mountain bikers that they all think you've trained super hard so not that you're wrong but you know your race is the most important race you know what i mean and you're stressed you've been training for months not only what about something if bad something bad happens liability course marking safety like i've been at races cross-country races where someone has gone out before the race has started and they've removed the course tape or changed the course. And if you're an organizer and you've got 500 people
2: on the course, like nightmare. And I think a good, like a good event or event series does so much for the sport in, especially like regional events and things that grow, you know, we've seen, obviously I think the Enduro World Series is great. I'm sure, I'm sure we can put Fred Glow on the Unsung Heroes list. Hey Matt?
4: I wasn't actually, I, I was close to Fred, my choice, but actually not Fred, um, because I think Fred is recognized because he's on the EWS board, and and I think I can think, I'll get to it in a minute, actually, let me, let me not get into it now, I'll wait, to, wait, I'll wait my turn. Okay,
2: but I think the point is that it can do so much good for the sport and for the scene that... We do, you know, I think Cy Payton's another person who's done really good things for the scene. Huge in, in the UK. In the UK. Yeah. Um, he's he's pink bike affiliated, so sorry if that's, if that's, we're biased, but Cy's great and has done really great things there. Yeah. A lot of the, a lot of the people that
0: are helping at the races too, we should point out are volunteers as well. I mean, the, the race organizers, a lot of times they're volunteer, volunteering their time. Sometimes they're making money, but. The people that are on the course helping racers and feed zones and stuff, they're volunteers.
2: I think in large part, there's hundreds of dollars to be made in race organizing. That much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, let's go to you. Who's one of your unsung heroes of the sport? So I gave some thought to this, and I wanted it to be more people who had an impact on the sport that just never really made it big time. And so I, did, uh, I largely thought about athletes. Um, the first one that came to mind for me is Ryder Kasprick. Um, do you guys remember Ryder Kasprick? Oh yeah. So he was like a early free ride guy here in BC. I think he's from Parksville on the Island. He was involved with like bicycle rockers, the, that early black box labs crew. Um, I think he rode for iron horse for a while and then Cove. I, I don't remember. Um, I just don't, I don't think he got recognized for some of the things he did. Uh, he, he was never doing really some gnarly stuff, wasn't he? Yeah. It? And he never really like made it. Um he was always just like on the bubble. But he did I think he's the first person to do a big he tail whipped that twenty five foot Megatron finish drop at Crankworks in two thousand six. And I put that on par with what, you know, Darren's three sixty at Crankworks in two thousand five. It was like a paradigm shifting, like yep. it was way bigger than what anybody was doing on a BMX, you know, mountain bike was so in the shadow of BMX, especially at that time. And this is like the first time I saw somebody, same as Darren's in 2005, it was like taking a BMX thing, but doing it in a way that could only be done on a mountain bike. And yeah, I don't, I, you know, that was the first big drop whip that we saw. Okay, Brian,
0: since you brought up Ryder Casprick, I'm going to, I'm going to say another name and you tell me if he's an unsung hero ben Boyko.
2: oh hey huh
0: is he i don't know what unsung hero is this
4: is this a canadian
2: thing <laughs>
1: yeah i think you joined the canadian game show of old free riders so we don't hear about it anymore <laughs> canadian
2: free riders yeah i don't know about ben Boyko because he didn't he was like he went he really some... hard for a couple of days but i don't think he uh I don't know. Did he have a lasting impact on the sport, like Ryder Casper? He made some nice
1: dirt jumps. He made Did nice Ryder Casper
2: have a lasting impact on the sport? Yeah, yeah, I think that was the first time people saw that that was possible, for sure. Now, do you see people do big tail whip drops now? Yeah. Yes. Hey, I want to. I want to stick with you, Brian, because your next pick is amazing. Let's hear it. Uh, I I asked. Sorry, going sticking with Ryder Casper. I asked. Uh, I asked Ross Measures if he had any good rider casbrook facts for this podcast and he says that he learned tail whip drops in the boneyard the same day as doing that drop at crankworks oh. it was the first time he'd ever done tail whip drops now he's a, uh, yeah i think he still rides bikes but i think he just got over it had some kids was i think he was a welder on the island maybe somebody can give us an update but uh yeah i think he's just doing good doing his thing on the island is there another rider that maybe is on that list brian you want me to talk about Ian Moult? He's the other guy I on do. my list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you guys remember Ian Moult? Anybody else other than Levy? Yeah, I remember him from the videos. I remember him.
1: <laughs> like from the North Shore Extreme videos.
2: Yeah, exactly. So he was like the original Jackson Goldstone. What was a North Shore Extreme video? There was these videos. They came, well, they came out of VHS, if you remember
1: those. And they were super grainy, and they were filmed with a potato. And there just all these people doing drops to flat on janking <laughs> bikes in the woods.
0: <laughs> those videos are... Video record of the history of freeride, yeah, and they got passed around because everybody
1: would have a compilation. Because you'd like rip the you'd, one person would have a copy and then he'd make other copies, and you put all of your stuff on there, so it's like your mixtape of weird freeride things that are happening in the early 2000s in,
2: in Canada. Matt, what, what what was the first mountain bike video you watched? The one I really
4: remember, I don't know if it was the first, but the one I really remember, but above all else, was Sprung Two. I want to say
2: mm-hmm.
4: so. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a video podcast at some point soon, like yeah. a podcast about mountain bike videos. We have to.
2: Uh, That's a good one. I That's still
4: one. have most of those VHS cassettes, I think. Like I had uh, both the cranks, three wheel burning, full set of sprungs, full set of earths. Uh, yeah.
2: So if you had if you had all those early cranks and stuff, like North Shore Extreme was our local BC scene version okay. of that around that the same sense. time. Um, it was Digger, so Todd Fiander, the the trail builder who built Ladies Only here. He's like the a well known trail builder. He was originally his, and he built a lot of the early trails on the shore. But his claim to fame was he made all the videos with his buddies, and they became North Shore Extreme series. Um, anyways, Ian Molt was in those. Um, he was like yeah, the original Jackson Goldstone kind of thing. Like he was. I think he was like 10 or 11 years old riding a Kona that was way too big for him and, and, uh, doing wheelie drops off the flow show. (laughs) Um, and yeah, he, he kind of like flew under the radar a bit more when he was a teenager. Um, I got to know him, um, when later in, when he was a little older and it was, it's, he's, I think probably the most talented person to ever not go pro in mountain bike like he was so insanely talented and so like methodical in the way he approached things like like i think i can three that okay first i'm gonna do a 90 then i'm gonna 180 then i'm gonna 270 then okay full three like it, everything was just like uh yeah an approach why do you think he was like that though there's some background to that brian well because he's a scientist exactly so, yeah he's he's a legitimate he's one of the smartest people i've met he's uh he even when he was like he he kind of stopped mountain biking for a few years and he was went full bmx but even in like mid-2000s bmx time he was like no always gonna wear a helmet always gotta wear a helmet um which was weird for then but yeah like he uh he's got i bet he has 10 15 world firsts on mountain bikes and nobody knows like the only one that came to mind up to this was i remember he like hopped on my mountain bike and did he did like a hang nothing um hop nose manual on this like super long ass ledge um which is like just casual weird thing but like to do that on a bike with a suspension fork was wild and i don't you just don't see people do it um he just got over mountain biking i think and rode a ton of bmx but also just Was he? He had other things to do in life. He went on to literally become a rocket scientist, (laughs) which is not, which is not something you hear about a lot of ex-pro mountain bikers. (laughs) Um, his uh, yeah, his crowning achievement, I would say, is definitely he wheelie dropped off the Large Hadron Collider when he was interning at CERN. He interned at CERN. He interned at CERN. Yeah, I think he's. I forget if he's at Harvard or MIT now. He's got a couple doctorates, and yeah, he's really smart.
4: I actually know of one of the mountain bikers who's my mountain bike rider who's actually worked at CERN oh really yes yeah, it's, it's yeah it's a kid called Jan Lucca Vanassa he was um, stevie smith's team uh, junior teammate in the da Vinci days, and yeah he's just he's just completed his engineering qualification now he's now like working up in CERN trying to find a cure for cancer or something.
0: I've actually, I met him in uh, San Remo, Matt.
4: Yeah. I was there
0: for uh, a RockShox camp, and he was there many, many years yeah. ago. He was a young, very young
4: racer then. Matt, let's hear another one of your picks. Well, yeah, the world use my first pick actually ties into all that, because it's actually Gianluca's father, Roberto. So where you rode in San Remo, he probably would have dug those trails. The thing with Roberto, his, his influence on mountain biking, I don't think he even knows or cares how big his influence is. Like I mean, he's I'm one of these people I've met who basically he's dedicated his whole life to building trails, helping riders, and the only thing, as far as I can tell, he's ever asked for it is the chance to keep doing it. Um, because he, I think it's around 2000 or so, he went to a race up in Val Serre called the Free Raid Classic. Classic. Which is organised by Eric Barona. I think he's the fellow in the late nineties, used to do those um, land speed records in the re, in the red suit and the and the bo- and the shoe boxes taped behind his shins and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they did, because what they were doing up in France in that period is they had these long descents off the chairlifts, um, which you know, today doesn't sound that revolutionary. But the guys went then; they'd never ridden a descent that long because it was all just cross country or XC basically. So it's short descents or punishing climbs. And the idea that you could do these 10, 15 minute, whatever descents blew them away. And so they, they came home and they started looking for a place where they could do this, where they were in their corner of like, of um, I guess, Northern Italy. And they found a place called Molini di Triora. And the thing with Molini was cause here, here in Europe, virtually every mountain has a hiking trail on it. We're pretty free with where we can ride and how we can ride. There's not, yeah, it's yeah. Compared to most places, it's relatively easy going in that respect. And so they found this village called Malini with the old hunters trails down the crest and down the mountains. But the big thing there was there was a road network all the way through the mountain. So basically you could easily drive the top of the mountain and then do the long descent back down again, which. Again, doesn't sound that revolutionary now, but back then, nobody had done that. And that, that thing he started in Melini that then went on to form the blueprint for what happened in Finale. And then from, you know, from what happened in Finale, that's where a lot of the Enduro imprint came from in Italy.
0: So it sounds like he was the catalyst for a whole lot of change in Europe around that time. So one of my picks is that riders who don't give a shit about the latest gear or tech regardless of how many ads or reviews are telling them that mountain biking would be better with whatever gizmo they're trying to sell the world cuz that's not me guys I love the gear and I want it I'm into the tech and I have a hard time not getting kind of caught up in that stuff and thinking that it matters more than it does Kaz do you do you feel the same did I feel do I love the tech and yeah,
1: no, like it's easy I, to get I, caught up in that stuff. Kaz. Uh, yeah, I don't feel like I do necessarily. Like I can appreciate it. Obviously, it's my job to like, do all that. But I think if I wasn't doing this, I would be less likely to care much about it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know
1: <laughs> if I believe it. <laughs> you don't? I, yeah, I just like reliable and durable and just like last. I wouldn't be like chasing the
4: lightest, fanciest electronics, all that stuff. I, I have a question for you guys. Because do you think in some ways pink bikes broken you? Working as a tech editor for all these yes. years, you've you've lost yes. that naive innocence <laughs> of the joy of the bicycle.
0: Yeah, I I I think there's probably some truth to that. Kaz, let me. I'm going to ask you a question. So in your garage right now, the only bike you have is a 26 inch wheeled Norco VPS. You know, it's got some fork on it, whatever. It's the only bike you have, and it's the only bike you can ride from here on in. It has
2: an expert on it.
0: Yeah, it has one of Not those. Another two expert crappy tires like 2.25 psychos or something i don't know whatever you can't upgrade it kaz are you still gonna go mountain biking as much as you are
1: yes because i don't like running very much at all so i would definitely go mountain biking. (laughs) it's a better way to move through the forest than running so yeah i'd go ride yeah like it wouldn't stop me obviously i wouldn't ride the same trails because i might die but um yeah i don't think that i'm too i'm not as obsessed with the tech for my own personal happiness basically yeah
0: I mean, I, I don't think that I need the latest and greatest. Like, I'd be happy with last year's Axis Group instead of this year's <laughs> yeah. Axis Group. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. But I, I don't think that I would be riding that much if that was my bike. What about you, Brian?
2: Um, I would definitely... There are definitely times I would not have ridden in the past if all that was the only bike I had ever had. Um, or, you know, if I'd stuck in free ride Brian years. Well, I did. Mm. I quit mountain biking, right? I. I was free ride Brian and then I quit mountain biking because I couldn't afford a new bike. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we owe we definitely shouldn't ignore the technological advancements and we spend a lot of time talking about them on the podcast, but I mm-hmm. agree with you that the people who just don't give a fuck and run what you brung, the people who ride to the race, like yes, definitely are badass. Yes.
1: Yeah. There's yeah, years ago I was working at a shop and they did like a specialized or whatever brand was then doing a demo and this kid rolled up from we would never seen him before and he just wanted to ride a bike and join on the demo probably like 16 years old or something we took him on some local trails and he was probably one of the best riders i've ever seen on this trail he still hit lines that i don't even know how he did it and they're not possible and he'd never ridden this bike before his other bike that he rolled up on was just super clapped out and then he just disappeared after that because he he did the ride and everything it was amazing we're like who is this kid and then he had to like move out of town because his parents got divorced and was like some gnarly home life and stuff but like People like that that just have ridiculous amounts of talent can just hop on anything. I mean, I think it's like it goes along with what you're saying. Those are the people that I admire that so much and people just pure raw talent don't care and just do
0: it. When my tire wears out, when my rear tire wears out from skidding, I replace it because I'm like, well, I want more traction. And then I see some guy with no rubber left on his like old ass high roller just railing past me. (laughs) Matt, you've been shooting photography for us you've been shooting races interviews for pink bike for over a
4: decade it's at least right? a, de- a decade this summer actually my first my first race i ever got paid to cover for pink bike was the enduro trophy of nations in the summer of 2011 that that was actually the race where martin mays had his breakout ride
1: yeah in the oh. photography world i think gary perkin gary is one of oh, my favorite nice. people and yeah. he's seen all kinds of things, like shot so much stuff. But in real, you know, when you meet him in person, he's the calmest dude. He always gets a shot, and he's kind of the behind the scenes person that just gets it done no matter what's happening. Like, I've you Those know, are I've the important people. To, yeah, exactly. And he's he's just lived like a really cool life, travels so much, and like, I haven't gotten to see him in a couple of years now, obviously because everything. But yeah, Gary, i put him up there just an unsung hero. You don't see his name splashed around as much these days, but he's seen so much, and yeah, super solid guy.
4: Matt, you said you got a couple more. Let's hear them. So the second one was Franco Monchiero. and the, 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 your th- yeah, exactly your three expressions are everything. And he, basically, mm-hmm. he was the guy who he was one half of Super Enduro with Enrico Guala. and the, the strength of that partnership was always there were two very different people. Enrico's a showman, a salesman. He likes to communicate. He likes to get people excited. That you know, he's really that's it. that side of the business has always been his passion. Whereas Franco was the guy, he's a like a former, I think he was a former Italian national champion in motocross. So I think he was, a, he was a good motorbike racer before we came to bikes. And he's the guy that set the format for Super Enduro. He was the guy that found the courses and set the rules and he did that more technical side of the racing. And I think if you look today at a modern enduro, because Fred's always recognized in the kind of, the official history, if you like, of Enduro as the godfather, you know, his race was ground zero. But if you look at a modern EWS race, the, imp- you know, the imprint there is probably closer to what Franco was doing in Italy than what Fred was doing when he, when he started Enduro. But the, the problem for Franco was that when the EWS came, Fred, you know, he's a very sharp businessman. He speaks good English. So he was, he was in there and, you know, he, un- he understood it from day one. Enrico is the salesman. He took it. so that those And those three formed the EWS. But then there was Franco. He's, not, he's never been particularly interested in the communication side. And he doesn't speak English. He doesn't speak French. He only speaks Italian and some impenetrable mountain dialect called Piemontese, which I don't understand the word of, to be honest. <laughs> but so when the EWS formed, yeah, those three went off and they went on to the great things with EWS. And Franco... He, he kind of got left behind, I guess. I mean, he's been doing his own thing since then. He was one of the first guys I know running gravel races. He's the, he's been running an e-bike in the Euro series it in Italy since 2017. So even though he's, you know, he's still kind of, I don't know if cutting edge is the right word, but at the forefront of what, you know, where racing's going. And so outside Italy, cause he didn't speak Italian and his races have only ever really stayed on that level. Then he's never really been recognized more widely. And-
2: Shout out to race organizers again. On the, on the topic of race organizers, um, it's just, just popped into my head. Um, have you guys ever heard of, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name. Uli Stansiou? Nope. No, No, he's, so he, I I did the Rocky mountain 35th anniversary, 40, I don't know, some anniversary for Rocky mountain. And at that time I was doing a bunch of research and I came across this, this Uli guy, he's like, he's. From what I read, it seems like he's the, one of the main reasons that mountain biking exists in Europe. What? He, um, yeah, he, so he started like back in 89, he started the German magazine, bike mag, like the German version of bike magazine. Um, and he's also the guy, like you guys will roll your eyes, but he kind of kicked off the Transalp movement. Uh, Like he did the first Transalp and he, he, um really turned it into this like tourist sort of destination kind of like I think a lot of modern stage racing and marathon racing and obviously the Trans Alps have a lot to um that owe a lot to Uli and without that without him doing I think he came over to North America and he saw I'm trying to, it was like I think it was like the Moab Fest in the early 90s or mid 90s and then he brought that back to to Europe and without that as I understand it, there wouldn't, the European mountain bike thing, especially the German mountain bike scene, would ne- which is, you know, it's a commercial powerhouse and and drives a lot of business and has driven a lot of innovation in mountain biking, um, wouldn't have happened. And like, yeah, it's Trans Alp. Yeah, it's, there's some pretty lame stuff, but um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think it would have gotten started in the same way without Uli. Brian, you mentioned
0: another name that, the world might not know, but it's people mountain bikers in BC
2: that have been around for a while might be familiar with. You mean Pippin? Yeah, yeah. So I I, f- I feel bad because I don't know enough about Pippin's history, and I know in my pink bike DMs a few people have reached out to send me some information because I want to write a story on on Pippin Osborne. Um, so he was one of the original. I think he, he founded or he worked at a bike shop in like West Point in here in 1981 i think 81 and he was an original guy at uh at rocky mountain and then he also was one of the founders of synchros uh went on to you know he's done he was just an early designer in mountain bike and added a lot to mountain bike development he um it is his fault the the banshee scream is pippin osborne's fault the one that i rode in 2004 so, um, that's not a, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should be thanking him for that one, but just his, his contributions to mountain biking have gone pretty unsung. And he, uh, he recently passed away and, um, I thought it'd be nice to mention him cause I don't know enough about him and his life. He was a very private person and he flew very under the radar, but I will, the people who've sent me messages about Pippin. I will read those and I think it'd be great to do a, a bigger profile on them at some point.
0: Let's go from, let's go from a person to a bicycle. Matt Rag, you got a bike on your
4: list. I, this is going to sound a weird one, but the Scott Spark. What? Not, not the, not not the RC, not the, not the XE race bike. I think that, you know, that's probably had all the love it needs, hasn't it? But the, the 120 mil travel version.
0: All right, let's hear it, Matt. Why is this on your list?
4: Because if you look at what's happening with shorter travel bike, I mean, I've had one of these now since twenty seventeen. I will confess that up front here. But if I look at what's happening with the whole, oh, do, do we say down country? Is that how? We don't. No, nope. <laughs> we definitely don't. Bleep it out. <laughs> but you know, you, you look at this generation of like shorter travel bikes. So you've got the you know, the new transition spur. You've got the Santa Cruz Tallboy you've got the norco optic that you guys gave bike of the year to even
2: if we're going to nominate a bike that kicked off um, one eleven, you oh, you got to steal my thunder yes i had to direct you you were going to say it <laughs> <laughs> it's important like if you're going to talk about a bike that was unsung unceremoniously cancelled the 111 yeah, the wh- was a, so far ahead. what year did it come out like 2013? Um, 15? Probably, Yeah,
1: the Kona Matt Kona yeah, process.
2: Kona one eleven. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Let's let's go back
0: to Matt here. I want to, I want Matt to back up his Scott Spark pick.
4: Well, no, because yeah, because if you, you look at the yeah the optic, the spur, the um. Oh God, what was the other one? The tall boy that I came. The Scott was doing that five years ago.
0: Yeah, but it had a lockout lever with three. Levers. Yes, but you just take it off. It's fine. <laughs> I I've, I've, I've... that the shock automatically goes to low. No, it doesn't. It's <laughs> fine.
4: You, can't. you can, you can, and I do. I've done it for many, <laughs> many years now. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't like the twin lock system. Although I do like the way they designed the kinematic because of the twin lock system, because it's a really good, <laughs> yeah, it's a really aggressive, like little kinematic for an XC bike. Good amount of progression, reasonably supple. It's and because I, so I keep, uh, basically, if the last few years is you know, the whole. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the D word, Mike. I'm sorry, <laughs> but as the whole. as the whole down country things happen every time a new bike comes out i'm looking going well should i upgrade you know is there there something i'm missing out on here and every time i come i look at those bikes there's none of them that are doing anything beyond what the spark was but i feel like scott seemed a bit how can you nominate one of the
2: most popular bikes in the world one of the most popular mountain bikes in the world yes scott sells a metric shit ton of sparks um, and, and that model, like the, the trail version too, like if we're gonna, let's go back to 2013, 20, yeah, it is 2013 yeah. for the process 111, that bike had 111 mils travel in a size large, it was 460 millimeters reach, which yes. it, for 2013 may as well be in a double XL. It had a 68 degree head tube angle, which again, 2013 for a 110 mil travel bike was mind-blowing like that was a real ahead of its time downcountry bike that got none of the love it deserved and then they killed it yeah they killed it Yeah, oh, kona come on bring it back can we start a campaign kona bring back the 111
1: well speaking of scott i do have an unsung hero that's related to scott ben mm-hmm. walker
2: Yes, because
1: yes Ben Walker's lifestyle is amazing and for people who don't know he does work with Scott He's done it for years. Um, he lives in Champery or in that zone in Switzerland and Basically just rides his bike and snowboards all the time and It's amazing he, like the way
0: he that he lives just is, ride his bike Kaz. He rides. Oh yeah, no, bike he's extremely well he's So well, he good. was There's a crew of riders over there that are
2: I think people fun. forget that he was like one of the like he was in a bunch of freeride movies back in the day He was an incredibly high-level rider yeah. Um, and then just like up and was like, yeah, you know what? I know I'm from the U S but I'm going to, I like it here in Champery. I like it here in Switzerland. And, uh, I just want to tinker in my garage. And every time I talk to him, he's like, oh, I learned how to, how to like create, uh, m- like homemade molds, like carbon molds for making snowboards or like, oh, Hey, like I just, I've just been playing on this lathe a bunch and just made up this whole new, like And he, yeah, he does all of his own like shock pressurizations and Everything's home brewed and it's it's incredible. Yeah, he's a very
1: talented tinker and he just lives the life that seems quite ideal. So.
2: Yeah.
0: He's he was responsible for a lot of the development of the Gambler, is that correct?
2: Casmere? He, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's responsible for a lot of the things that I really like about some Scott bikes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And some of the trails too. Some of yes. the good trails over there too in uh in Morgans, I think is how you say it.
0: I've got another tinker that I want to add to my list of unsung heroes. He's a mountain biker. He rides a little differently than Ben Walker, though. You might have heard of him. His name is RC. <laughs> uh, RC's definitely, he's not unsung in our, in our corner of the world. You for already sure, nominated
2: but... him for Heroes. What's that? The Heroes podcast. You already had him on the Heroes podcast. Yeah, we put him on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah, Did we? Well, yeah, you did. I, did. I didn't I put, I put him on, on my Mount <laughs> Rushmore. Yeah, you put him on your Mount Rushmore.
0: Yeah, I didn't put him on mine, though. Okay. Let's so put him on his. Anyways, I think, I mean, RC is at a, obviously a massive impact on the sport and, and he's taught a lot of us a lot of things. So I think he deserves to be on there too. So we've got one more name on our list from Matt. He's another race organizer. Matt, who is he?
4: Uh, it's a guy called George Edwards. He's, um, I guess he doesn't speak English. So it's another one of these that outside the French speaking world is probably not quite, you know, not that well known. But I think it's possible that he's the most innovative race organizer anywhere in mountain biking i can think of because he in the early days of mountain biking in france he was one of the guys in um integral in setting up the french federation which yeah was the base base for a lot of the french racing in 1989 he held the first ever downhill race in france and we all know how that turned out don't we it was, it was yeah. back it was because there was this kind of age where they just sort of tried stuff to see if it, if, if, see if it stuck. There was, um, I actually, actually if you go through, there's a, there's a site called Million Santé that's got some of the old um, race, re, race results and stuff from them. And uh, there was a one called, it's called the Rally de Crepe d'Orone and I think it was 89 and it was the earliest kind of proto-enduro I could find. And there on that race, like, There was all the kind of usual stuff about climbing up hills and riding down them. But then there was like a a special stage of like an obstacle course on an ice rink, I think it was or something like that. That sounds amazing. There should be more ice skating mixed with downhill races. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I think we could all agree that race organizers, especially in the early days of the sport, played a huge role and are unsung heroes. And then we've also got a handful of other people on our list. Let us know in the comments below if we've missed any unsung heroes that you guys think we should have mentioned. Um, And let's head on to Comment Gold and wrap up the pod.
2: There's no chance. I'm sure we got every single one of them. 100%. Yeah. No one's going to be mad. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Comment Gold. This is on the Forbidden Druid Ziggy press release. Shred BC says, I love that the bike has dirt on it for the photo op. It's so sick that Forbidden wasn't worried about the pristine press release and the bike is meant to be ridden. G42 replies, that's probably highly curated dirt. Took their marketing intern seven tries and four hours to get the dirt splatter just right to hit that sweet spot of just right dirtiness. You guys know those like the fast food commercials where they have the hamburgers and they look like this McDonald's hamburger, looks like perfection, but it's not a hamburger. It's all like fake stuff. And like, that's someone's job.
2: Did you know that there's an actual union for food stylists? Really? Yeah. It's a real profession that people really do. I mean, speaking of somebody whose real profession is talking about <laughs> bikes, <Fair laughs> like <point>. children's toy <laughs> on the internet, but still like, it's still mind blowing to me that there's enough people who are, yeah, food stylists that there's a union for them. I love it.
0: <laughs> All right, another comment on that forbidden druid Ziggy PR. TZAK says, delivering late August of which year? Don't, 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 Some <laughs> Something out there right now. All right, our last comment, gold, to wrap up podcast number 68. This is on the Leo Gang cross-country results article where cross-country racer Vlad Daskulu finished fifth. Matt, did I... Did I pronounce that right?
4: You, you, you butchered okay. it, but you know, we're all good. Perfect.
0: <laughs> Prof says, Dracula in fifth place for the men's XC. And then and Road 42 says, we can't count him out. <laughs> simple minds here at pink bike everybody all right that is it for episode number 68 remember to like subscribe and let us know in the comments if we missed any unsung heroes that deserve some kudos and we'll see you next episode